0: Hear the word of God as it is written in 1 Kings chapter 19, reading from the first verse down to and including verse 19. Now Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like that of one of them. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the desert. He came to a broom tree, sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors'. And then he lay down under the tree and fell asleep. All at once an angel touched him and said, Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was a cake of bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank and then lay down again. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with the sword. I'm the only one left. And now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. When Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. And then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. The Lord said to him, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. When you get there, anoint Hazael, king over Aram. Also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel. And anoint Elisha, son of Shaphat, from abel Meholah, to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael, and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. Yet I reserve seven thousand in Israel, all those whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and all whose mouths have not kissed him. So Elijah went from there and found Elisha, son of Shaphat. He was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen, and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and threw his cloak around him. Here ends the Bible reading.
1: There's always one thing you can bank on in this church, that uh, even if you're a bit weak in the way you're about to preach, Derek will have set the scene with his children's talk. I think he stole my thunder completely today. But you can also bank on the fact that the word of God will be read clearly, and that's as it ought to be. So please keep your Bible open and you'll find in the notice sheet an outline of the teaching that the Lord has given me for today. I hope it'll be useful as I preach but also as you go home and explore further what it is the Lord wants you to do with this. It may not have caught your attention but last Sunday was International Men's Day That movement came into regular use in 1999, exactly 90 years after International Women's Day. In the Western world, the pendulum has swung from the cry for recognition women were making a century before to a similar cry from men now. Sadly, Suicide statistics give some understanding to this need. You'll probably know that suicide is the leading cause of death for Australians aged between 15 and 44 years. But you may not realise that 75% are males. Behind these sad facts, of course, there lurk the reasons for such hopelessness among males in our generation. Well, today, we journey with a man on the run and discover that there are timeless factors contributing to extreme sorrow. The best of men are only men at the best. What a contrast there is between chapter 18, verse 46, and chapter 19, verse 3. There in 46, we're told the power of the Lord was on Elijah. But a few verses later, in chapter 19, verse 3, Elijah ran for his life. When uh, J.B. Phillips translated the Greek New Testament into English, he was so struck by the powerful words of Scripture that he wrote a little book which he called Ring of Truth. Divinely inspired Scripture breathed out of the mouth of God has that ring of truth to it. It stands out from all other literature. Characters are portrayed faithfully in the Bible. Even their sins and weaknesses are recorded. Uh, Writers not led by the Spirit of God are more likely just to put the good points. So we discover here in verses 3 to 7 first of all Elijah in retreat. Elijah the troubler of Israel, the prophet of the Lord, the man of God. Wicked people, of course, have no time for God and they're not careful with the truth. King Ahab hurried home and told his idolatrous wife Jezebel what Elijah had done to her phony prophets of Baal. Little or nothing was said about God's consuming fire from heaven. No interest was taken in the people's declaration of renewed faith in the one true living God, Ahab emphasised how Elijah had slain the idolatrous prophets of Baal. He'd cut them out of Israel, like a surgeon excising a, a virulent cancer out of a human body. But of course God has no place in the thoughts and plans of the wicked. Even his sacred name, had been banned from the court of Ahab and Jezebel. Jezebel's response is predictable and it's written there for all to see. Very typical of someone who has no time for God or goodness. As there in verse 2. May the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life... Like one of those dead men. Unable to hurt God directly, in her bitterness, Jezebel struck out at Elijah. It's always like that. It was so in the early Christian church in Acts chapter 7 when the Jewish council saw that Stephen had the face almost of an angel. They were cut to the heart and they ran upon him to stone him to death. Elijah could have had the same end if Jezebel could have laid her hands upon him. That's why the historian says in verse 3, Elijah ran for his life. Elijah is no coward. This man troubled Israel's conscience at the highest level. He prophesied with such power that God confirmed his words with fire from heaven. And yet, he ran for his life. Even the first century apostle and preacher, Peter, weakened in his witness when challenged by a girl about his relationship to our Lord Jesus. Elijah ran for his life. And he ran to Beersheba. That's about 150 kilometers to the south. He left his servant there and he went a day's journey into the desert alone. He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. And Of course, the thing about ancestors is they're all dead. The troubler of Israel, the prophet of the Lord, is only a man after all. Alone under a broom tree, waves of depression crashed in upon him. His hopes for Israel were crippled. His ambitions for the Lord's glory were defeated. His plans for the future lay in ruins. Behind every high crest of the wave, there is that equally deep trough. In the confrontation on Mount Carmel, Elijah rode on the crest of the wave. In the wilderness here beyond Beersheba, he wallowed in the slough of despondency. The strong man of God had become weak. The tide of his life had run out. I've had enough. (laughs) Don't despise this man. It's a good thing that none of us know yet what we may have to face tomorrow. We too might cry out, I've had enough. Take my life, Lord, he prayed. Anyone who's ever stood up for the gospel in a rebellious age like ours knows the loneliness of this cry. Take my life, Lord. That ancient prophet Jonah was disobedient to the heavenly call. God said to him, go to Nineveh. So Jonah set sail in the other direction as fast as a boat could take him. Faced with the consequences of his own failure, faced with God's great mercy towards the wicked despite him, that failed missionary cried out in despair, it's better for me to die than to live. Well, now Elijah is faced with his own wickedness. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. Now, if Elijah had really wanted to die, he only needed to stay in the region of Jezreel, and Ahab's idolatrous woman, Jezebel, would have obliged. Elijah, you see, had grown weary in the work. He was profoundly disappointed at its apparent failure. Momentarily, reverence, submission and obedience had left him. Well, if it happened to that mighty man of God, why wouldn't it happen to any one of us? Even the brightest servant of God with the greatest reputation for fearless proclamation can sink to this low level. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. Noah was a drunkard. His sons, like all the children of such men, were ashamed of their father's behavior. And yet by the grace of God, the faith of this man saved his whole family from perishing in the flood. That act of faith, trusting in God in the face of the impossible, gave the world a second chance to live. Moses was troubled by anger. It prevented him from sharing in the promised land. But by God's grace, this man was Israel's saviour from exile in Egypt. Aaron was devoured by jealousy. But under God, he became Moses' right-hand man. David committed adultery with his neighbour, a careless woman who bathed on the rooftop where everybody could see. He conspired to murder the woman's husband to cover his sin. But God's grace could not be frustrated even by this wicked individual, for David was known as a man after God's own heart. Though Jonah was disobedient at first, he preached eventually and saved many. Peter denied his Lord when challenged by a girl, but God's grace put steel in his back and courage in his tongue. He was the world's first Christian mass evangelist, preaching to thousands the glorious gospel. Of the risen Jesus. No wonder the preacher says in Ecclesiastes 7 no man living always does the right thing. This catalogue of Old Testament heroes ought to make us diligent in prayer for all our Christian brethren, and especially for preachers and missionaries and others up front. Pray that it may please God to preserve them from anything which would dishonor his name or cause his enemies to rejoice. The question for us is, why did Elijah retreat? Did he have too high a view of himself? Well, verse 10 tends to suggest that I'm the only true prophet left in Israel. Everything depends on me. That's a very dangerous view to adopt and it's never true. In God's world, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but God needs you as much as I need a hole in the head. Did Elijah have too high a view of himself? Or did he have too little regard for God's ability to take care of him in every situation? In the Western world, the answer to everyone's need is to boost self-esteem to help people feel better about themselves. That's what taking the focus off God and putting it on people has done for us. Feeling good about yourself is not what you need. We need unshakable confidence in God and his ability to do what is best. Had Elijah become distressed over not seeing the results he expected. We all need a plan to take advantage of the opportunities before us, but we must not be preoccupied with circumstances. God and his work are unlimited. Momentarily, Elijah's confidence failed him. He forgot that formula of action we saw in chapter 17, verse 1. God lives. I am his servant. Well, this is not only Elijah's problem. Abraham is the father of all who believe, and yet his faith broke down in Egypt. Fearing the might of a pagan king, he tried to pass off his wife as his sister. Moses is described in scripture as the meekest man in all the earth, but he was forbidden to enter Canaan Because he lost his temper and spoke in anger. John, the apostle of love, together with his brother James, wanted to call down fire from heaven upon the Samaritans. All these heroes of faith are only men after all. Underneath Elijah's fearsome exterior, there beats a human heart. I've had enough. Take my life, Lord. But of course, God had a task for Elijah. Our Heavenly Father is incredibly gentle, as you know, and as we heard our sister testify earlier, he took Elijah as he was, without hope and in need of help. He sent angels to feed him and gave that blessed gift of sleep I hope you're familiar with Psalm 127, verse 2, which says, God gives his beloved sleep, a precious, refreshing token of love from the Father. Elijah's retreat. Well, in verses 8 to 12, we're happily confronted with Elijah's revival. We're familiar, of course, with meals on wheels delivered to elderly people at home, But by the brook, Elijah was fed by ravens. Meals on wheels called again. This time, angels returned with more food. Verse 8. So Elijah got up and ate and drank, and strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, the history of Israel had not touched Mount Horeb since the days of Moses, centuries before. It's appropriate that Elijah should tread on this sacred ground where Moses had stood. Moses was the founder of organised biblical living in ancient Israel. Elijah was the restorer of that revelation of God's will for his people. Each man had a special revelation from God. Both men were forceful characters. God buried Moses in an unmarked Moabite grave, whereas Elijah was taken up into whirlwind, into heaven. That's the way to go, as far as I'm concerned, the Eternity Express. And both men stood with Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration in Mark 9. Well, here in verse 9, we're told Elijah went into a cave and spent the night, and the word of the Lord came to him. What are you doing here, Elijah? Oh, I've been zealous for the Lord God Almighty. And he gave the the Lord an earful of what you think the Lord would have known. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, They've broken down your altars and they put your prophets to death by the sword. I only am left. <laughs> now they're trying to kill me. Where is the fearless champion of God now? He can only appeal to the record of previous service. And men and women running away from God usually do that. Oh, I used to go to church every Sunday. I used to teach Sunday school. I used to be a strong evangelist. I used to study my Bible every day. I used to meet the Father for prayer before speaking with anyone else. I used to, uh, but I'm not doing it now. God confronted his frightened servant with a question the man needed to answer most. What are you doing hiding In this cave. In his complaint to God, Elijah neglected some important facts. Fact number one on Mount Carmel there had been a a national turning back to God. Fact number two Obadiah had saved 100 true prophets of the Lord from Jezebel's killers. Elijah was not the only one left it only appeared that way to him despair is colorblind only the darkest colors penetrate the gloom despair see nothing of the brightest the bright radiance of hope elijah's helpless and therefore his situation seems hopeless It's amazing, of course, what a difference food and rest make to our outlook, even if they don't come by angels or ravens. The defeated man was ready for a fresh vision of God's glory. So, verse 11, the Lord said, "'Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, "'for the Lord is about to pass by.' "'A great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart "'and shattered the rocks before the Lord.' the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the fire came, uh, uh, sorry, after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a gentle whisper. Wind, earthquake, fire, fearsome symbols of energy released A demonstration of God's sovereign power. His perfect control is like a great safety net with holes. Sometimes we dangle through the holes but we cannot fall down. The Lord reassured this miserable servant, Elijah, I'm still here. I am the sovereign Lord who shakes out the earth when it needs to be shaken. Here is mighty power under perfect control. God speaks not in gusts of wind, nor in the upheaval of earthquake, nor in blazing fire. He graciously addresses his defeated servant in a gentle whisper. This mighty God who saves people from the disastrous consequences of their sin is full of compassion and gracious, slow to anger, overflowing in mercy. These words, of course, capture Elijah's experience. The power and majesty of wind, earthquake and fire, the encouragement of the Father's gentle whisper, reassured the defeated man of God Circumstances can no longer hold him down He will rise up like a man returning from death Retreat and revival are part of the experience of godly service You think you can get away without one of them You're in trouble and never be so vain as to think, oh, that couldn't happen to me. (laughs) God will show you. Elijah's retreat, Elijah's revival, and praise God, from verse 13, we see Elijah's restoration. Having heard the voice of God, Elijah pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood in the mouth of the cave. As he listened... Elijah heard exactly the same question from the Lord. What are you doing here, Elijah? (laughs) Never expect guidance in any other situation until you answer the question the Lord asked you before. (laughs) What are you doing here, Elijah? And the man poured out the same pathetic record of his former zeal for God. I used to do this, I used to do that. And then when he'd finished, it was so quiet. There was nothing left to say. But notice the signs of return to spiritual health. No more cries, I've had enough, let me die. Now it's simply, let me listen, Lord. This mountaintop encounter with God reminded Elijah of his utter dependence on a word from the Lord. Elijah was told to anoint successors. Syria and Israel needed kings. Verse 15, go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus and when you get there, anoint Hazael, king of Aram and uh, Jehu, king over Israel. And of course kings... In that situation needed a prophet of the Lord. Verse 16 Anoint Elijah to exceed you as prophet. As time unfolded, actually it was Elijah's successor Elisha who anointed those kings. But however it took place on the time scale, anointing a successor is vital in any ministry. Paul said to Timothy, Mate, what you've learned from me entrusts to faithful men so they can teach others also. So I ask you this morning, are you praying for and seeking to train someone to take over your ministry in this place or elsewhere? The Lord may move you out. Is there someone else who could carry on the gospel work you're doing effectively? Delegation of responsibility to others, of course, is difficult. They may have different opinions to you. They may employ other methods than the ones you prefer. Well, pray for grace to be loving enough to accept these differences. It's not about you. (laughs) It's about getting the gospel out. Elijah was assured that justice would be done King Ahab and his wicked wife could only persist in their evil ways for a time. Isn't that a comfort this morning as we look at the horror of our present world and the number of terrorist sympathisers we've got living in our own community? It's frightening. Judgment follows willful, unrepentant sin as surely as night follows day. The Lord promises his servant in verse 17, Jehu will put to death any who escape the sword of Hazael and Elisha will put to death any who escape the sword of Jehu. It is right for us, of course, to be concerned to uplift the sacred name of God. But let us remember that he is still controlling his world. At any time... He has far more loyal servants than we realize, which is why we must underline verse 18. God said to him, I reserve 7,000 in Israel whose knees have not bowed to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. We are not recruiting agents for God. Our Lord Jesus said to his followers in the end, I chose you, you did not choose me. <laughs> Those whom God calls to be his people, he calls effectively. And unlike us, he does all things perfectly. And he says, no one can pluck you from my hand. God is not dependent on us even if we seem to be the only ones upholding his name. Elijah's retreat in the wilderness and his cry for death remind us that the very best of men and women are only men and women at the best. Elijah was great among men because he enjoyed a right relationship with God. He saw himself in the end as he really was destitute and he saw God as he really is dynamic. Confronted by that vision he asked what do you want me to do? I'm bound to put to you this morning this question. Are you truly 100% God's man or woman? If not what on earth is holding you back? hope of promotion or popularity. You won't get that in our society. (laughs) Desire for possessions, fear of people. Well, whatever it is, it's not worth it. When I was first converted which is a few years now, a few years ago, we learned all sorts of great little choruses. I think probably the one I'm about to quote is the chorus of a hymn or other but I didn't know any hymns coming out of pagan darkness as I did but one that grabbed me continually simply said about the Lord if you do not crown him Lord of all, if you do not crown him Lord of all, if you do not crown him Lord of all, all, you do not crown him Lord at all. Now That's the challenge, isn't it? Well, only the Spirit of God can convict us and only we each can reply. So let's have a moment of quietness as the Spirit moves and then I will pray. Thank you, Father, for understanding our deepest need. Thank you for not casting us off as others do when it's no longer convenient to know us. Thank you for understanding when we come back for the hundredth time confessing a problem and looking for forgiveness. Thank you for keeping to yourself the power to run your world according to your will and to achieve your purpose according to your plan. But thank you too for choosing us who believe in you, Thank you for providing such a simple definition of Christian family life. You have said very clearly, those who hear the word of God and put it into practice are my family. We know there's a big leap between believing and doing. And we've been reminded again this morning of how distracted we can be, how desperate we can become. And in an age like ours, which has rejected your place in our society overall, we're seeing the terrifying results in suicide rates, alcohol consumption, absolute obsession with gambling, Etc., etc. We thank you this morning that you haven't changed, you haven't gone anywhere, and no matter how we feel, even far away from you, you're still sitting there on the throne with arms wide open, saying, I've loved you in the death and resurrection of my son, there's nothing better I could do. And so I'm saying to you, give up your struggle and come to him. He's the only saviour I've provided to bring you back into fellowship with me forever. Don't resist any longer. Father, whatever stage we're at here this morning, give us grace to run to you for salvation. We ask it only In the precious name of Jesus. Amen.